welcome to Sundays at Grace. I'm Pastor Bill, and I'm so glad you've joined us once again. Sundays at Grace is the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. And I'm so excited for this uh, week's edition of the podcast as I started a new sermon series called Man Overboard, Jumping Ship into the Arms of a Loving Savior. And uh, in this series of messages, the next four weeks, we're going to look at none other than the runaway prophet, Jonah himself. And let me just say that if you think you know the story of Jonah, I challenge you to listen for the next uh, few weeks here, because I think we're going to look at Jonah maybe in ways that you have not seen him before. He's got a remarkable story, and uh, I think you'll be fascinated to see how his story lines up with your story. Now, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with this message. You might find them very helpful. Uh, Also, there is a link you can click there if you would so choose. You can support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church financially and help us continually to put out this podcast. But let me just say, I'm so glad you've joined us. The sermon this week is the God who never gives up and just know that he never gives up on you. Hope you have an awesome week. And uh, let's get right to the message. The God who never gives up. There's a movie coming out right around St. Patrick's Day about the life of St. Patrick. And so a little story here about St. Patrick I ran across actually. And so I'm a week ahead because really next week would be closer to St. Patrick's Day. But this movie is set to release. It's called I Am Patrick. And it tells the legendary story of this man who was really an ordinary man used in extraordinary ways. Patrick is a British Christian missionary. I know that the Catholics kind of want to claim him. I'm not so sure that is the case. I think he's just a plain old Christian. He's a British Christian missionary. John Coward in his book, People Whose Faith Got Them Into Trouble, writes this about Patrick, okay? We know about the real St. Patrick because he wrote a record of his life called Confessions. Now listen to his story. As a young boy, Patrick lived a comfortable life near an English coastal city where his father was a deacon in their church. But at the age of 16, his comfortable life unraveled. Irish pirates attacked his village, abducting Patrick and many of the household servants. After arriving in Ireland, Patrick was sold as a slave to a Druid tribal chieftain who forced Patrick to work with a herd of pigs. In the midst of the squalor of pig filth, God began to transform Patrick's heart. In his confessions, he wrote, I was 16 and knew not the true God. But in a strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes and I was converted. Patrick became convinced that the kidnapping and homesickness were actually opportunities to know Christ better. Anything that happens to me, he wrote, whether pleasant or distasteful, I ought to accept with serenity, giving thanks to God, who never disappoints. Knowing that this serenity didn't come from his own strength, Patrick wrote, now I understand that it was the fervent spirit praying within me. After serving as a slave for six years, Patrick escaped, boarded a boat, and found his way back home. At long last, he was on British soil, warmly embraced by his family and his community. In his own mind, Patrick was done with Ireland for good. According to Patrick, it is not in my nature to show divine mercy toward the very ones who once enslaved me. 
Once again, God would change Patrick's heart. Partially through a dramatic dream, Patrick knew that God had called him to return to Ireland, not as a slave, but as a herald of the gospel. His family and friends were understandably horrified by his decision. Many friends tried to stop my mission, Patrick wrote. They said, why does this fellow waste himself among dangerous enemies who don't even know God? Despite these objections in A.D. 432, Patrick used his own money to purchase a boat and sail back to Ireland. Patrick spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel in Ireland, watching many people come to Christ. He also passionately defended the human rights of slaves. Besides his confession, his only other remaining written work is the letter to the soldiers of Corotius. A scathing protest sent to King Carocious and his soldiers after they raided a village, slaughtering the men and selling the woman into slavery. For the rest of his life, Patrick would remain captivated by the grace of God. In his confessions, he wrote this, And I am certain of this, I was a dumb stone lying squashed in the mud. The mighty and merciful God came, dug me out and set me on top of the wall. Therefore I praise him and ought to render him something for his wonderful benefits to me, both now and in eternity. And what an amazing story, and I think in part because we think, well, that's not the way I would respond. That's not the way I would think. Return to the very people who enslaved you and take them the gospel. Would this not be risky? Would this not stir up painful emotions? Would this not open old wounds? And so Patrick becomes the legend, but he's really no legend. He's an ordinary man who God just used in extraordinary ways. The question is, what prompted Patrick to go back to Ireland? Well, he tells us in that book, Confessions, he had this dramatic dream in which he felt the prompting of God. He was compelled by God to go back to Ireland, compelled by the love of Christ, much like the testimony of the Apostle Paul. For Christ's love, 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And Patrick, in that pigsty over there, serving as a slave in Ireland, came to know Christ. His heart was changed and transformed. He had that new creation heart we talk about. And years later, he will follow that heart obediently back to Ireland to serve his former enemies. We are starting a new series today, Man Overboard, jumping ship into the arms of a loving Savior. And we're going to tell the story of the Bible's runaway prophet, Jonah. And we're going to talk about his story. And we're going to see that as he jumps ship, he jumps ship into the arms of a loving, loving Savior. As we walk through this story the next four weeks, hopefully we can see it with fresh eyes and experience it in new ways. And the truths of the story will resonate deeply inside of our own life. Now let me be very clearly though that Jonah is not just a story. It's much more than just a story. Certainly there are those that want to say Jonah is a parable or a fable or something Jonah is just, he, the story of the whale is just a dream he had when he was on that ship. But it's, that's not the case. We know very matter-of-factly from Jesus himself the story of Jonah is true. We know from Jesus three things, that there was a person historically named Jonah, that there was a person named Jonah that spent three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster or a whale, and we know that there was a man named Jonah that went and preached to the Ninevites, and they repented. 
We know historically those three things are true. And so we just need to understand that reality as we talk about the runaway prophet. So um, here's the reality. Jesus is clear in the Gospels that Jonah and his whale are not mythological, allegorical, or hypothetical. They are to be taken literal. This event really, really, really happened. And its significance will speak to us in different ways. Now, let's consider this question as we get into the heart of the story. Before we do, into the heart of the story. Let's consider this simple question this morning. When you think back on the story of Jonah and the whale, the story of the runaway prophet, here's the question. Jonah is ultimately a story about blank. What words come to mind? What themes come to mind? What would you put on that blank? Anybody want to throw something out from your memory? Story of faith? Obedience? The reality is there are all kinds of themes that come out of the book of Jonah. I ask this question up front though because I think there is ultimately one thing this story is about. Of all the things, and whether it's faith or love or obedience, all those things, Jonah is ultimately a story about Jesus. It's ultimately a story about Jesus. This is his story once again, as I say all the time. Every page in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. Every story points to his story. And Jonah is going to point us right to Jesus and right to the cross and right to the gospel. And it's going to elevate the gospel for us. More than a story that's just about, you know, our obedience and right and wrong. A story that's about us. It is ultimately a story that's about Christ and points us once again to the cross. And I think that is very significant. We'll see that as we go through that. In fact, just, just as a note here, here are a few of the key parables we'll see in the book of Jonah. Let's look at verse 1 here. Now the word of the Lord, Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Four simple parallels we can note as we go through this. Nineveh, is this great wicked city, and Nineveh represents the world. So just think of that. This great, incredibly great wicked city we'll talk about actually represents the world. Remember this uh, verse right before God asked Noah to build that ark? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The world, this is the trend of the world since the fall. The trend of the world of humanity is just to get worse and worse and worse when it comes to our sin and our wickedness and our evil and Nineveh simply represents the world. The second parallel is that Jonah is sent to Nineveh and Jesus is sent to earth. So just get that parallel down. Jonah is sent to Nineveh to take this message of God's mercy and God's love and God's forgiveness just as Jesus is sent to earth to take the message of God's love and God's mercy and forgiveness. And the parallel we see goes on here that Jonah is initially disobedient. I mean, he eventually ends up in Nineveh. He's never happy about it. We'll see that as the story goes on. Jesus is passionately obedient. In great humility and joy, Jesus comes to earth. Christ comes to earth to bring God's message of mercy and love and forgiveness, something Jonah didn't want to do. And the last parallel in this story I want us to note is that Jonah is on a spiritual journey and so are we. And it's true, we're going to see Jonah, we're going to see his geographical location. He's on a geographical journey running from, he's supposed to go to Nineveh, he's going to go to Tarshish. 
But the reality is, he's on a spiritual journey, and so are we on a spiritual journey. And this morning, we want to see what are some lessons we can learn about our own spiritual journey in life. So just know that. Now, keep those pictures in mind as we go through this the next four weeks. And there'll be some other imagery in the book that will point us to Jesus and the gospel as well. Now, let me give you a couple of big ideas. First, here's our series big idea. You can never out-sin or outrun God's love. Just know that. God can forgive anyone and he loves everyone. God can forgive anyone and he loves everyone. You can never out-sin or outrun God's love. You will see that in the next four weeks in this book of Jonah. Here's today, though, specifically our big idea today. No matter how fast or determined you are, you cannot outrun God's love. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how determined you are, how committed you are. You cannot outrun God's love. You cannot escape God's love. Try as hard as you might, you will not be able So this morning then, four truths for our spiritual journey. If we looked at this today, if we looked at uh, four weeks, there's four chapters in four weeks. If we looked at it like it was a mini-series, you know, like put on TV, you know, or something, you know, AMC put on a four-part mini-series on Jonah. And I'll be honest, going through this, I'm thinking this is the movie. I don't think they've made this movie yet in Hollywood. This would be a compelling movie to make. There's some powerful stuff in here. I think Hollywood would have a great time with this movie, and we'll talk about that, but... Here's the thing, uh, look at this as four today, four separate scenes in part one of this miniseries. Four separate scenes in part one of our miniseries and four spiritual truths for our own spiritual journey. So let's get into it. Here's the first one. We go back to Jonah 1, 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just know this up front, that God, we need to listen because God speaks to us through his word. We need to be listening because God speaks to us through his word. Just as God spoke to Jonah, God is also speaking to us on our spiritual journey. Just know that. And we need to listen. Now, why is this a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Because there are so many voices today that are speaking to us. So many voices speaking into our lives. We need to hear the voice of God. There is the news media. There are the politicians, the entertainers, our friends and family, our bosses and coworkers, all kinds of people speaking into us today. And there's this mantra today. There's this thing out there today called fake news, right? Let me just tell you, fake news, that's a real thing. There is so much more fake news than you can even imagine. We are being lied to so much more than we realize. So be able to distinguish the voice of God, know his voice. It's not that every voice around us is leading us astray, but there are many voices that are tearing us down, that are beating us up, that are burning us out. That's the reality. So many voices that are lying to us and causing us to doubt, leading us astray, and we need to recognize the voice of God. So here's the reality. God speaks to us. Think about this. God speaks to us. First, he speaks to us in the privacy of our devotions. We go home during the week, take our Bible out and read it, and God will speak to us. And we need that. But God also speaks to us through preaching. Speaks to us every Sunday morning right here. That's why it's so valuable to be here. Just think about this on Sunday morning. Your creator has something he wants to say to you. Your creator has something specific he wants to say to you. And I I will tell you that in recent years, I've seen so, so many attempts to kind of 
That diminished the significance of preaching. I just saw in the last three, seriously, in the last three weeks, I saw three different articles, and they were all kind of different, unique, they had different, unique, unique angles, but all kind of saying the same thing. Would the 10-minute sermon work? And, and, then, and then you read other places where it talks about our culture is changing, and today, you know, well, maybe preaching today should be more interactive and ask more questions and, and have more discussion. Well, let me just tell you, that's not preaching. That's simply not preaching. Nothing wrong with being interactive, nothing wrong with discussing the Bible and asking questions, and you know what that is? That's Sunday school and that's Bible study, and there's times for that, and that's extremely important. But the reality is, that's not preaching. Preaching is preaching, not discussing or interacting. Here's the scripture. Look at this, what Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. I charge you, he said to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so here's the reality. Note what Paul doesn't include in his discussion of preaching. He says reprove and rebuke and exhort. He doesn't say discuss or ask questions or interact. He doesn't say get different opinions. He says just preach the truth. There is something powerful about preaching. In fact, note this. What did God want Jonah to do? Jonah, go to Nineveh and... um, Get into some discussion about me. Go to Nineveh and lead some Bible studies. Go to Nineveh, you know, and uh, get their opinion on me. No, it was go to Nineveh and preach. Go to, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Go and reprove and rebuke and exhort and warn them that if they don't repent, it's not going to be good. That's so powerful. There's just something powerful about preaching the word of God. And I'll I'll admit this, every week I wrestle every week with the text. Whatever we're going to talk on, I wrestle with it. I was so excited this morning to to get up here and preach this because it's so good where God's taking us. It's going to be so cool. But, but it's, I wrestle with it every week. I wrestle with the text. And I wrestle to find its relevance. I don't, I don't wrestle to make it relevant. The amazing thing about God's word is written two, four, six thousand years ago it's still relevant today. We don't make it relevant. It is relevant. So I, I wrestle to find that relevance and, and to find how we can apply our lives to the text that we read. And so I, in, a, in a very good way, I wrestle with the text. I do. And I always want, I've said this before, what I share on Sunday to have some meaning on Monday, to be of use on Monday. Years ago when I was starting out, I learned that preaching should have three components. It should speak to our intellect and teach us something. It should speak to our heart and cause us to feel something. And it should speak to our will and challenge us to do something. I thought about that as I shared what I shared last week, that it needs to go from our head to our heart to our hands. It's kind of the same, same thing, same, same way of expressing that. Here's the verse I shared a few weeks back. Paul writing to the people at Thessalonica. That's actually second Thessalonica. There it is. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so the reality is they heard God's word. And what's important, I can wrestle 
with the text and try to find its relevance. But in the end, my words don't matter. It's his words that matter. It's his words that will shape and change our lives. It's what he says. It's what in the, te- it's in the text that makes all of the difference. So the first thing we need to be listening because God is speaking to us through his word and there is just something that is incredibly powerful about preaching. Preaching is the power of, procla- of God's word proclaimed. It is the power of God's word proclaimed. Okay, let's look then a second uh, truth here, a second uh, scene in this episode and it's simply this. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's the second thing. Reality is, sometimes we find disobedience either than obedience. Just a fact. Sometimes we find disobedience uh, easier than obedience. It's just easier to disobey and to tell God, no, no thanks, I don't want to do that. Um, Sometimes God comes and asks something of us and I'm like, oh, ah, ooh. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to do that, Lord. And so I call Jonah the runaway prophet because that's exactly what he does. Notice that he doesn't, he he runs the the exact opposite direction. Tarshish is the exact opposite direction. It's about as far from Nineveh as he can get. Know what Jonah doesn't do. Jonah Jonah doesn't just sit there and say, no, no. I don't want to go. He runs as far as he can from Nineveh. Now, now the question is, the logical question, why was Jonah running? Why was Jonah running from Nineveh and from this call? Well, there are a couple of reasons, a couple of reasons why he was running. Now, think about why was he on the run? Well, possibly he was running from his fear. Possibly one of the reasons he was running was he was running from his fear. And fear is quite possibly the the, the fact that that Jonah was scared with what God wanted him to do. Now, why do I mean that? Well, think about this. We read that Nineveh is this great city. It is a great city indeed. And uh, that refers to both the size of the city as well as its reputation. Okay, Nineveh is about 60 miles in circumference. Just to give you some kind of benchmark to that, think about this, from Wayland to Kent City is 52 miles, and from Grand Haven to Ionia is close to 60 miles. So that's, that's Nineveh. That's, that's how big Nineveh is. A lot bigger than Grand Rapids. A um, lot bigger than Grand Rapids. And so he, here's the reality. You got this great city. It was noted to have a wall that was probably 50 to 60 feet up to 100 feet tall. You could actually maybe drive a chariot, if not more chariots, around this wall. Pretty amazing. And so this is a great city. One of the things that they're known for, though, in their greatness is they're known for their great wickedness and great evilness. And their sin of, uh, I guess, their, their sin by definition would be their violence. They were known as a very violent people. They would actually, they would take their enemies and they, they might drive a spear through them and impale them right to the wall and they would just leave them hanging there. Or they would take their enemies and they would skin them and they would hang the skins on the wall. They would actually take their enemies and they would bury them with brick and mortar inside the wall. They would cut off hands so you couldn't write. They'd cut off your nose. They'd pluck out your eyes. They'd cut off your ears. They were known as a violent people. That's the reality. That's who they are. And at the same time, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which, by the way, destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century 
B.C. So in essence, Israel is the enemy of Nineveh. So now I want you to take all that into your mind and God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to your enemies and tell them that if they don't repent and start worshiping your God, I'm going to wipe them out. How many would sign up for that? How many would say, yeah, that's fine, I'll go tell them. You got to start worshiping our God or we're gonna, God's, my God's going to destroy you. And so in great reluctance, yeah, Jonah runs the exact other direction think you might not object to that call or be a little scared or run in the opposite direction we have a tough time witnessing to our friends what if you had to go to your enemies and give that message to them now here's what's really sad you want what's really sad about that is that in chapters three and four we find out that that could possibly have been an issue that prevented him from going, that could have been, he was running from his fear. The reality is we learn in verses, chapters three and four, we'll get into this more in, the, in latter weeks, but definitely it says he was running from God's love. He was running from God's love. What do I mean he's running from God's love? Well, here's the reality. Instead of impaling him to a wall, he was afraid that Nineveh might actually repent. And if they repented, he knew that his God was loving and merciful and forgiving and his God would actually forgive his enemies. And he didn't want his enemies forgiven. He wanted his enemies to get justice. Isn't that sad? The ultimate reason that he ran from this call was not even his fear that he might be impaled by the Ninevites, it's that the Ninevites might be impaled by the love of God and that God would forgive them and that they would repent. The thing is, sometimes we struggle with God's love and mercy. Sometimes we are called to tasks where we find it hard to follow through and it's disobedience is easier than obedience. Dissing God is easier than listening to God. For instance, God tells us to overlook an injustice or forgive a wrong or serve a stranger or love an enemy, or bless an enemy, or to make a sacrifice, or to step out in faith, or to share our faith. And, and God asks us, and we're like, no, yeah, no. And we run the complete opposite direction. We get as far away from that call as possible. And in that moment, the question is, do we run away in fear? Do we run away from God's love? Or do we obediently move forward in faith and trust God? Okay, look at the context of this here again. And I want us to note something because there is a warning in here. There's a warning within the context here. Basically, surprise, our disobedience can be costly. Look at Jonah 1.3. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it. Notice that my disobedience will cost me. Notice that it cost Jonah as he paid the fare to run away from God. Why would God insert such a minute detail into the story? Pointing out that Jonah paid the fare because it shows that Jonah was willing to pay a price to get away from him. That Jonah paid the cost that his disobedience cost him. And our disobedience will likewise cost us. In fact, it can cost us in at least three specific ways. We can note that it will cost us our peace. In the very next scene in this story, we find Jonah on a boat and it will be anything but peaceful. When the great storm breaks out, it's anything but peaceful. And that is just the beginning of the price that Jonah will pay. It will not be peaceful in his life for a few days because of his disobedience. 
In fact, remember this verse we studied a few months back in Romans chapter 6. This is a significant verse this morning. Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God, writes Paul, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness what is Paul saying there Paul is telling us that we have those new creation hearts that are obedient we have become obedient from the heart see we actually unlike Jonah have new creation hearts that want to obey God we have the desire to obey God in our heart which means that when we aren't obedient we will not be at peace In some ways, we need to cut Jonah a little slack this morning because we have a relationship with God. We have these new creation hearts and this indwelling spirit that Jonah did not have in his day. So it will cost us our peace. It will cost us our perspective. Think about this. Jonah now has a really bad attitude, right? God wants to show mercy, forgiveness, and love to the Ninevites, and Jonah's not happy about it, but instead of submitting to God's will obediently and having that shape his perspective, he runs away angrily and doubles down on his bad attitude. You see, when we are disobedient, it can cost us our perspective. When we are obedient, it can change our perspective. It can improve our attitude. It can help us see things God's way can change our attitude towards other people. So our obedience will cost me my peace, my perspective, and finally it will cost us our purpose. Jonah is what? He is a prophet. He is called to proclaim God's word. He He is called to preach and warn and exhort. Yet by running away, he is dissing not only God, but his purpose. Let me just say, when we lose our purpose, that is a big deal. Our number one purpose today is to bring glory to God. That's your and my number one purpose. When we fail to do that, our life has less meaning and joy. It is that simple. Jonah's life throughout this story will demonstrate a loss of meaning and joy simply because he cannot wholeheartedly embrace his purpose. Let me repeat that again. Jonah's life throughout this story will demonstrate a loss of meaning and joy simply because he cannot wholeheartedly embrace his purpose and obediently follow God. So my disobedience will cost me, but my disobedience will also cost you. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It is so clear in this story that our disobedience also impacts those around us. Note, as this great storm comes upon the sea, that the seamen start doing what? They start throwing their cargo overboard to lighten the load to save the ship and to withstand the storm. And I wonder if at any point Jonah ever stopped and thought about how much his disobedience cost these sailors. I wonder if we ever think about what our disobedience might cost those around us especially those around us that we love.
Oh, do you, do you get it this morning? Our disobedience is a big deal. And unfortunately, sometimes we find disobedience easier than obedience. So number one, we need to listen because God speaks to us through his word. Number two, sometimes we find disobedience either than, easier than obedience, even when we have a heart that wants to obey. And then here's our, our, here's our third scene in today's episode. And here's our third truth for our spiritual journey. It's this, is that often God keeps speaking until we listen. Even though we may be disobedient and ignore God's call, that doesn't mean God gives up on us and stops calling. Oftentimes, God will keep speaking till we listen. Look at verses 7 through 10 and listen for God's voice in here. And, and they said to one another, the seamen said, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and, oh, and surprise, the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And listen to Jonah's testimony. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Now, now note here that Jonah doesn't lie to them. Jonah speaks the truth. Crazy. Crazy as this is, God is speaking to these sailors through Jonah. You see, the prophet of God, even in rebellion, speaks the truth of God. And note as well again what I pointed out there, what Jonah says about himself, his testimony. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That is such a powerful statement. And note, and note, and keep this in your memory bank here, note how he defines God by his creation. That is significant. But what I want you to note here, he says, I am, I am the, the, the God of the Hebrews and I, I fear the God of the Hebrews, the God of creation. I just want you to note that I believe Jonah was a godly and righteous prophet. In a time where there were many prophets who were idolatrous and adulterous and, and unfaithful to God and chased after false gods and, and were false prophets. In an, era, in an era marked by all these false prophets and unfaithfulness to Yahweh, Jonah is one of the righteous and devout prophets. I believe that. I believe he really did fear God, which is all the more telling this sudden outburst of disobedience, all, more, all the more surprising. We read on. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Note that Jonah, Jonah doesn't just jump in the sea, right? Jonah says, you throw me into the sea. Now ask yourself this, how does Jonah know, though, that he is responsible for this storm? It is simple, really. He can hear the voice of God. He can see the power of God. God is still speaking, even in his disobedience. God is trying to get Jonah's attention. God has not stopped speaking to Jonah. Even more, God is also speaking to these very sailors. As you may have noted, they worship a different God. In fact, they seem to believe in this idea of a plurality of gods that need to be appeased. 
Verse 13, we read on, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Let me just tell you, it is impossible to fight against God. And Jonah's been fighting against God and running the opposite direction. And God's like, no, Jonah, you're not going to do that. And now here are these seamen, and they're fighting against God to do things their own way. And God's like, no, that's not the answer. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So you see, God keeps speaking till we listen. And what we see developing here is a beautiful sub-story that we just need to take a moment and note. What is this passage teaching us? There's something in here that is so, I think, important, and I think we can overlook it. It's this, is that God speaks through and is defined by His creation. It's true that God speaks through His Word, but God also speaks through His creation. Note, these men on the ship here are not believers They do not worship Yahweh, at least not when Jonah gets on the boat. But by the time they toss Jonah off of the boat, they are now Yahweh worshipers. They now worship the Hebrew God. Yet if you ask them who they worshiped, who do you think they would say they worshiped? If you said to them, who do you worship at this point, at this juncture? If you said, who do you worship? Who's your God? I think they would say, we worship the God of creation. We worship the God who rules creation. We worship the God who made all of creation. We worship the God who has the authority over land and sea. Remember again, how did Jonah define his God? I am, I worship the God of the heroes. I worship the God of the Hebrews, the God who created the heavens and the earth. In the book of Acts, Paul is preaching his famous sermon on Mars Hill to those in Athens. Listen to his sermon and how he ultimately defines and describes God to them. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So in Athens, the Greeks, much like these sailors on the boat, they, all, they, they had all these gods they worshipped. And yet here's these these men in Greece, just to cover their bases, just in case they may have missed a God, they had a statue with an inscription that said, to the unknown God. So what does Paul do? Paul tells them who this unknown God is. He tells them that there is one ultimate God who is their unknown God, who is the God of creation. Paul, just like Jonah, defines the one true God of the universe as the one who created the universe. Did you get that? 
Paul, like Jonah, defines the one true God of the universe as the one who created the universe. God ultimately defines himself by everything that he created. Oh yes, and at the same time, by everything that he redeemed at Calvary. Going now, look at, look at one other passage about this here. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says this, For the wrath of God, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What a powerful passage. The invisible attributes of God, his power, his divine nature, everything there is to be, to be known about God is seen in his creation, and because of that, Every single person is without excuse. We struggle sometimes, right? What about individuals? What about people who live in, in remote tribes and in, in jungles of the world or, where the, the gospel's never reached and the, they've never got a copy of the word of God and they, they've never heard of Jesus? Paul would say, they've seen him. They've seen the creator of the world. They've seen God. They've seen the one true, ultimate, unknown God in creation. And they've seen enough that they can cry out to God. And how God sorts all that out, all that out when it comes to salvation and, and not having the gospel, I'll let God deal with that. What would God do for a, for a person in a remote jungle that was blind and couldn't see creation? I'll let God sort those things out, just like I let him sort out the issues of my 24-year-old autistic son that can't make a reasonable decision for Christ. I believe we have a merciful God, and I trust him with those questions. The issue, though, really is deserving of more time than I can give it this morning. But the, the bottom line point here is that God speaks through and is defined by his creation. And that is why we also say that no matter how fast or determined you are, you cannot run God's love. That's our big idea again. No matter how fast or determined you are, you cannot outrun God's love. God is all around us. His creation screams of his love. Now, why does this hold practical importance for us? I would simply encourage us all this morning to relate to God even more through his creation. If you're feeling down, uh, if you're filled with doubt or discouragement or depression, just look to creation and be reminded and be amazed of the God of power and love that we serve. And so we go to one final scene. One final, one final scene, one final truth in episode one here. And, and this, if this were a four-part miniseries, this would be the end of the first episode and it would be the cliffhanger ending. Jonah is tossed overboard and the storm suddenly subsides. It immediately subsides. But what will happen to Jonah? And all of a sudden, up out of the water comes a huge sea monster. Yes, probably a whale. History says maybe a sea dog, whatever they look like. 
a whale that swallows up Jonah whole. Tune in next week to see what happens. Jonah 1.17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And here is our fourth and final truth. Be encouraged, my friends. God's love is relentless. Be encouraged, God's love is relentless. What we see going forward is that Jonah jumped uh, ship into the arms of a loving Savior. Let's wrap this up, though. Let's tie this all together with some final thoughts. First thing, we need to see the storm in the story as the love of God. We need to see the storm from God as the love of God. See the storm uh, from God as the love of God. And yes, sometimes God's love is powerful. One popular worship song has described God's love as a hurricane, and, and God's love can do that. It can just come through our life and just stir everything up. And do incredible work on our hearts. Now when we think about the story, we get it, right? The story of Jonah is the story of God's love for Nineveh. God wanted Jonah to go to this very wicked people and to preach his forgiveness and his mercy and love. A violently, violently wicked people. God wanted Jonah to go preach to them because he really did love them. And if they would just repent, he would forgive them and he would bless them. How crazy is that? I want you to consider something else though that you may have missed. Think about this reality and we do see this in verse 17. But how many think that God was surprised when Jonah ran away in the opposite direction? How many think God was shocked when Jonah disobeyed him? Could it be possible that God in his sovereignty lined up this ship, planned out this storm, and put forth this whale well in advance? Well, certainly. It says in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Yes, God lined up this ship, God planned out this storm, God put forth this whale in advance. In fact, even more, could I contend this to you, even more, could it not be possible that God called Jonah to this very task because he knew he would run away? I mean, if God knew Jonah would object, why not just ask somebody else? Could it, could it be that the story this story is as much about God's love for Jonah as it is for Nineveh. Could it not be possible that God seen into the heart of Jonah and seen that he needed a perspective change, an adjustment attitude, called him to a task that was intended to shape Jonah and change his heart? You see, God's going to be teaching Jonah, the one, Jonah, the one who thinks he knows all about God's love, he's going to be teaching him what his love really looks like. And you see, what, what God wants is that God wants Jonah to love his enemies, the Ninevites, the wicked and violent Ninevites. He wants Jonah to love them as much as he loves them. You see, sometimes God calls us to the very tasks to which we will object because those are the tasks needed to shape us. The very tasks that we just spent several weeks on that will help form Christ in us. The very things God calls us to that we often don't want to do 
are the very steps of faith we need to obediently take so Christ can be formed in us in greater and greater and greater ways. Oh, and don't forget, don't forget today, we have an advantage over Jonah as God has given us a heart that wants to obey. Which leads us to this practical conclusion. The story of Jonah is about God's love for Nineveh, yes. And the story of Jonah is about God's love for Jonah. But the story of Jonah is ultimately about God's love for you and me. And I hope this message, that can, this is a message that today can travel from Sunday into Monday. And be an encouragement to you this week. Oh, but wait. Gets even better. I have one last question for us this morning. Here's the question. What was Jonah running from? How would you answer that question? What was Jonah running from? Well, you might say God was, Jonah was running from his fear. What was Jonah running from? How would you answer that question? Some might say Jonah was running from his fear. We talked about that. Some might say he was running from God's love, right? Some would say he was running from Nineveh. But you know, the, the text tells us exactly what and who Jonah was running from. On three occasions, on three separate occasions, it tells us exactly what he was running from. In fact, I'll read this and you read the bold underlined sentence on the screen. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. It says the same thing in verse 10. Now think about what this means. This means that when Jonah got to Nineveh and this incredible, with this incredibly hard task in front of him, God was already there. God was already there. And the bottom line is, whatever God calls us to, He carries us through. Whatever, whatever impossible, impossible task God calls us to, He carries us through. Whatever challenging task God calls you to this week, to reach out to a stranger, to forgive a wrong, to bless an enemy, to even share your faith, God will be there with you. In fact, don't forget the advantage we have today over Jonah as well. It's not just that we have new creation hearts. The presence of God is right here within us wherever we go. And so we may ask ourselves, going back to the beginning of this message, so how did St. Patrick, how did he go back to Ireland and face his enemies and love his enemies and even preach forgiveness to his enemies? How did St. Patrick do that? It's because whatever God calls us to, he sees us through.